Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade film movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling end-of-the-year countdown-the-days teachers. I'm the veteran jaded Don Shanahan. And I'm the almost done with my rookie year, William Johnson. To be in your place, man. To be in your place. <laughs> Folks, we're damn glad to have you. This is all for tantrum's sake, where shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love, but love what I love is more than what Will loves. But for now, the gloves are <laughs> off and the hissy fit is on. This week, in honor of Emma Stone stepping into Corella DeVille, we've been circling this one for a while, but now we've got kind of reason to plug it in. Last week, we talked about Joker. This week, with Emma Stone coming into Corella, we've got her Oscar-winning performance in La La Land. This <laughs> film's been, I hear, see there, the giggles come out of it. <laughs> this film was recommended by myself as the favorite and person who gave it a high marks review. Our format for our hissy fit is this. The recommending lover goes first. That's me. I get five uninterrupted minutes to shower my praise and state my high-minded case as a, I don't know, bowler hat-wearing critic all of a sudden. The hater, Will, the rookie, Johnson, follows with five uninterrupted minutes of his own to present his counterpoints with any manner of intellectual, he didn't even rewatch the movie, folks, scorched earth. After that, we open up for 15 minutes of shared conversation where the hissy fit really gets chippy, and I feel like this is going to be one of those good ones. We hope you've got your judge's scorecard. I got my gloves on. Folks, let's go. Will, happy Sunday. Well, unlike Samuel L. Jackson, who admitted without admitting, even as an Academy voter, that he only watched 20 minutes, or in his words, he could only make it through 20 minutes of La La Land. Mm. I've actually watched the film before. Now, okay. yes, you do criticize me for not rewatching this. However, I did do a lot of homework. Okay. I think many, because uh, uh, I think many uh, listeners will know that uh, sometimes I say things um, that aren't true. Mm. <laughs> like last week when yeah. I said, uh, last week when I said that uh, there was more academy award winners for the role of the joker than uh black academy award winners and i remember uh for best actor and i remember when that came out of my mouth i went oh well i can think of four or five off the top of my head and you immediately jumped on me and um so i am going to be talking about something a little bit sensitive today so i made sure to have sources and uh, all kinds of stuff like i'm using the english teacher in me uh to back up my arguments this week so i do not make a fool of myself now we're talking. Look at you go. All right. Well, I, yeah, so, yeah. I you do homework for this as I the know. brains of the operation. <laughs> I'm just happy you're here. All right. Sweet. Uh, Five minutes, huh? All right. Yeah. Let's 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 hear this. Uh, this 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 pleading case of love. All right. Here we go. Here yeah. We go. Let's do it. Set this timer. Bells on. Here we go. All right, folks. Well, for those of you who follow my work on 25YL, um, I'm a film critic in that kind of way. But uh, I got my start and still write on uh, my own website, which is called Every Movie Has a Lesson. And as a school teacher here, I uh, that's kind of the lens that I can't remove in terms of watching films, where I always try to find the things that a, that a film can teach. And I think La La Land, for me, as the website says, Every Movie Has a Lesson, I kind of picked out three in my old review of La La Land. I was going to kind of bring them up here as just kind of the the substance that goes into the that goes deeper than just the the flashiness of what this film is and from what i see in la land i see three biggest three big things that are kind of thematic beyond 
the filmmaking. Filmmaking to me, off the charts, amazing. We'll get to that later. But one thing I see is the wavering perseverance of the struggling artist. You've got two characters here in Sebastian and Mia who kind of brim with want and desire to create and express themselves. They face more rejection than success, and they feel the pressure to kind of mature and find a more profitable kind of career. They're struggling artists. Now, I'm not saying this is inside Lewin Davis by any means, and I hate that movie, and that's probably another conversation for another yeah. day. Oh, 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 see, here he goes. But, um, but struggling artists encounter a lot of tipping points, whether they acknowledge them or not, that either push them to quit or push them to pursue and strengthen their resolve to achieve. And this movie's got that. And I find that a buddy of mine was kind of commenting on my my post about this movie, of, you know, watching last night. He's like, you know, I kind of wanted more musical with my movie, or I wanted more musical in my musical. And I'm kind of cool that this movie is more movie than it is musical or has enough movie to be there. And by the time we have these career arcs going, we also have this second kind of big point that I kind of enjoyed, which was the competition between personal lives or personal loves and romantic loves, because loves and careers always don't always mix. And it's don't get me wrong. It's wonderful if you have someone or a partner in your life that also has a professional a professional role they're passionate about. But sometimes there's not enough energy to kind of commit or dedicate oneself fully to both. And it could be kind of a choice of which success they're willing to settle for or which person receives that success. And it's not necessarily that it's old husband, wife, male, female roles of who needs to be the breadwinner, who needs to be the success story. But there's, I think, people in our lives that kind of bring us to those places that that there are loves we left behind, whether it's a, a personal one or a romantic one. And I, I feel like La La Land has that, and it impresses me. And then, since we're always a spoiler alert for a movie that's over five years old here, to loop all that together, I also see places where fantasies rarely become reality. And, you know, as day glow and amazing as this movie is, it has a a strong heart to it that is that has some reality where not everything can be fantasy or not every fantasy is going to work. And to kind of go from the wavering perseverance and the competition between loves, we have people who envision fantasies in both their personal and professional lives. But when someone starts a new job, they might picture themselves being the best, the most unencumbered of what they do in the same way that they a new spouse promises they'll be the best possible man or woman. La La Land plays with those flights of fancy and big dreams on screen with all the kind of woulda, coulda, shouldas in between. And I love that about this movie in that we have fantasies that are competing here, but at the same time, reality is ready to kind of bring them back down. We have plenty of fun in that fantasy and it's a beautiful thing, but both in the film and in our own lives, reality kind of swoops in and reminds us that the world has limits and some of those limits are our own flaws and shortcomings. And I feel like this movie could have been way for as much as it is applauded for the sunniness of it all and the and the setting of LA and the love letter that it is to old genres and the meaning of mediums and all the 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 homages that are possible ranging in all kinds of places at the end of it we still have you know a story of a guy and a girl and it doesn't work out and it, I'm not saying it's the longest breakup movie in the world but I think we have a filmmaker who not only gets the charm of the mediums and things that he's homaging, but he gets real life in that not every fantasy is going to be a, I think this movie would be too easy if the guy gets the girl and it all works out. I think we would hate this movie even more than we do. But for this one to have 
a vibrant reality beyond all the amazing showiness. It's really something really good. And I, not only good, I think it's a great film and one of the best of the decade. And with three seconds to go, that's me. Nice. Yeah, thank you, sir. I know. No, I like that argument. I like that argument. Okay. Um, is my is my timer started? I can start it when you say go. All right, let's let's do it because I got right. a lot to do and I don't know if I'll get it in time, but uh, we'll do my best. I always give you bonus minutes. You fire away. Okay, so everything that you said is is very valid. Um, I think that uh, I want to make it very clear here that um, when I talk about La La Land, I don't want to uh, seem like I'm trashing the filming process or the performances or anything like that. Um, I think that uh, Emma Stone is fine. I don't know if it was an Oscar-winning performance, but whatever. Um, I like Ryan Gosling, especially when he's comedic. Um, I think uh, he's he's in two of my all-time favorite movies. One is a very serious actor, Blade Runner 2049, and one in which he is comedic gold, which is The Nice Guys, which we may talk about on this uh, show soon. Um, but uh, I have one major thing here, and, and I'm ready. I'm ready for the pitchforks to come out with people saying that I'm woke or an SJW. But, okay, so here's my, my main issue. And we've talked about this on the show. Sometimes we obviously, I, I can't remember where Don stance is on Green Book. Um, mm. But I, 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 I have a problem with a four-minute-long Best Picture winner, La La Land, because <laughs> it was Best Picture for about four minutes before they realized Moonlight was the actual winner. Um, but uh, so it's, it's technically like a, a Best Picture winner for a couple minutes. Um, my problem is, and I don't think this is intentional. Um, I don't think Damien Chazelle, uh, who's very talented, I, I enjoyed Whiplash, First Man is excellent. Um, I don't think that he's intentionally like promoting any of these values that I'm going to be talking about. But I do think that when you kind of have a Harvard-educated, white, rich man uh, being in charge of his fantasies, I think that there becomes almost a um, subconscious act of white privilege being on display here in this film. And that's my biggest complaint about it. Um, is it wonderfully crafted? Is it beautifully set designed? Is it is the cinematography excellent? Is this the plotting and the pacing? And I mean, I could argue about the music. I, I find music completely unmemorable and the dancing kind of whatever. But I mean, it looks nice. It's a nice looking film. So I, I did some research on this because I didn't want to rewatch the film. Uh, but I remember always being a little put off by what I felt was kind of a white savior narrative. Now, me and Don have argued about this in the past um and he vehemently disagrees with me but here's what i did when i researched that because i wanted to make sure it wasn't just me thinking this so i primarily looked for articles written by african-american men um i did find some written by white men too or women um the first one that i kind of came across uh actually went into a direction i wasn't expecting it was a uh, uh this is a white man named jeff nelson but he wrote a um uh, an article for pace magazine called the unbearable whiteness of la la land uh, the subtitle of the article was, was what does Damien Chazelle hope we see when we look back? Basically, mm -hmm. what we have to remember, and this is where things could get sensitive here for people that are listening, but this movie came out during a very, very um, rough time in terms of political landscape uh, and racial. Um, we were kind of taking a 
Um, this was like Baltimore and Ferguson, wasn't it? Five years ago, right? Yes, yes. So we're we're looking at a very like there's a lot of racial disharmony. We've got leaders in the American government that are openly um, anti-black, anti-immigrant, anti, you know, so there's a lot of stuff. Now this article by Jeff Nelson um, does a lot of interesting things. It talks about the idea of nostalgia, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and this film is a very nostalgic film. It tries to go back to the Ginger Rogers, Fred Astaire kind of aesthetic. And maybe it it, it, um, does that on a technical level and that's fine. But the idea of nostalgia is in itself a white privilege concept, because if you're trying to revisit the past, you have to remember that for people like Ryan Gosling or Emma Stone, being in the 40s or 50s probably wasn't that big of a deal, <laughs> or the 30s or 20s or whatever you want to call it, whatever the time period is, 40s, 30s. Um, but this idea that uh especially when you start tying in the idea of jazz which is a very african-american um art form you know um it becomes a little tricky because it's like yes i like living in the past i like having those feelings of the past but i'm a i'm a white man you know what was the what was the 30s 40s and 50s like for black men or black women um, he bring, Jeff Nelson brings up an interesting point here. He says that during this time period, we were talking about with all this upheaval going on with politics and racism, whites at that time, majority of them thought life was better in the 50s, whereas blacks thought life was better now. So I find that interesting sure. that we have that. Did five minutes go by already? I was, uh, I'm just giving you the bell. Fin- you know, finish your okay. You're good. I, I got you. Wow, I didn't know I was going to talk that long about just one article. Once you started, I knew you were going to talk that long. Okay, so allow me a little extra time here for this. But Fire away. So I looked at that and I thought, okay, fine, nostalgia. That That's an interesting point. We are. I, I felt kind of the white privilege part there. Um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote an article for The Hollywood Reporter mm-hmm. called How La La Land Misleads on Race, Romance, and Jazz. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar actually praised the film. He said it was an excellent film, so it's not like he's trashing the film. Sure. However, he I've brings read this up, article. He brings up the concept of isolating race. Sure. Um, he's, he says that the most egregious aspect is that we have a white person uh, in Ryan Gosling who is essentially acting as a white savior in a sense because he feels that he is the one that must save jazz from the... Uh, whatever you want to call them, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The um, oblivion that is kind of falling into as an out of favor musical genre. Yes. Uh, sure. Or the worst case scenario, which is what he brings up is the fact that we have one black character in the film really. And he represents the, um, antithesis of jazz. Uh, he represents the sellout. Uh, this is the John legend character. Mm-hmm. um, so <laughs> we're talking yeah. about an art form that is purely that was formed by African American pain and passion. And we're representing that with one black character who is selling that idea out. Yes. And that's I what kind of Yeah. I, I can't take John Legend's character that way. And I, I'll you here, you finish where you're going and I'll, yeah. I'll pile on. Yeah. I, he also, Abdul Jabbar also mentions a couple other things about ambition and love. He, he mentions, and this is kind of what you were going with about how mm-hmm. it's like, they're not meant to be together. He mentions in his article that 
uh, it seems like the film draws a line that you can either be ambitious or fall in love. You can't have both. And he thought that was a little cynical. Um, I also thought that was kind of more tone deaf from the director's point of view as well. I think that there's kind of a, let's just throw out the racial stuff. Sure. There's kind of a magical thinking that like you can achieve your dreams, but you know, you'll have to sacrifice one or the other. And I, I don't think everything's that black and white. Oh, I, everything isn't, but there are cases where that has happened and I'm okay with a case like that happening on screen in a story that sells it and pushes, pushes it in that way. Yeah. And right. my last bit, Here, my I'll... last bit. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I said, my last bit was there was an article by Ira Madison, the third. Um, I forgot. It was from MTV. He's okay. a black man as well. He wrote an article called La La Land's white jazz narrative. And mm. there was this whole concept of what real jazz is. And it kind of repeats a lot what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was saying, which is, you know, we're having, you know, when I look up the definition of white savior, now this is what I'm saying. I, I want to make it very clear. Yeah. I do not think Damien Chazelle is some kind of racist, you know, I, I think he's more tone deaf than anything else. I think in the time period where this film comes out, that nostalgia for the past, that main character which he probably sees as himself because he's such a jazz fan in real life true um it it just rings very hollow to me it says Mm. um um it says this the white savior is often portrayed as a man who is out of place within his own society until he assumes the burden of racial leadership to rescue non-white minorities and foreigners from their suffering now i'm transporting the actual right. black people with the experience of their creation, which is jazz. Um, but to me, that just rubs me the wrong way. Cause it, it feels like he's like, okay. I'm the only one who really understands this. So I must save this art form. Yeah. And you know, uh, there's some more things I can get into, but I'm not going to, but um, okay. Yeah. That that's my main conceit is that I think that some of the emotional standpoints are that you brought up are a little too, broad or black mm. and white and then i think that there is a uh, unintentional kind of like a green book or a crash uh, that yeah. one best picture in whatever year that was mm-hmm. um they have good intentions but i don't think they're i mean crash is probably a little bit worse because they their intention was to point out racial oh yeah i agree stuff but i don't think it was racist i just think it was badly done <laughs> but mm-hmm. um i think this is just one where it's a little bit tone deaf from uh, a white man talking about a black form of art. Sure. That, that's where my main problem. Is. And and I'll I'll send you back the same thing I told you off the air when we had this discussion, which became the episode of the show. Was yeah. if that's what you got out of this movie, you missed yeah. the whole fucking point of the movie. Okay. So right. here here's where this goes. One, I well here I'll just do the John Legend thing. Is is the easiest thing. John Legend, the performer he plays in the movie, is a guy who takes the boring part of jazz that and unfortunately the genre has become mainly maybe even because of white people who've joined in with the music it is to be more of an innovator to kind of change it up a little bit add a modern thing to it he admits that jazz is that kind of thing that young people don't listen to so he's going to make a kind of music with jazz influences that people will listen to and he gets ryan Gosling to kind of see that and even participate in it and it changes him in terms of the kind of jazz he's willing to work for and accept and not quite be the sellout i see more innovator than i see sellout i see ryan gosling as a sellout who realizes maybe i was a little too strict and one noted in the way i see jazz at the same time i can use this as a darn good job to reinvigorate myself to make the jazz club i want and kind of be yeah 
I could say a layer of white privilege. We got to eventually by the end of this movie, he's a white business owner doing a great thing with jazz and we can mm-hmm. use more venues like that. But that's why I come back to jazz and jazz. Yes. While being a, an originally an African-American art form to me, we're back to music where music is, can be shared and be universal where that could be something we all can enjoy. Now the, its roots are where its roots are and blues can be right there with it. But to mm-hmm. say that, it can only be, and I don't want to sound like a Martin Scorsese style gatekeeper in any way, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the involvement of John Legend and the, and the care and consideration taken into the music and the angles of which it's being used in a modern way, I don't, I get no, I, I don't get, I will not, well, here, let me say it like this. I don't see the white saver vibe at all. Is it mm-hmm. a guy who's just really into jazz and he just happens to be white? Sure. Now, I'm not going to say he's the Eminem of jazz, but at the same time, <laughs> You know, it's not that simple and it's not that blunt either. But no, I have a guy who likes jazz, who likes maybe a pure, different form of jazz than what the modern audiences are today. He's trying to get his girlfriend to like it. If anything, he's guilty of mansplaining more than he's guilty of being a white savior or a jazz savior. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think you have an art form that is big enough and broad enough and accepted and, and created by enough people, black and white, that I don't think there's that much, I don't know, I don't want to say patriarchal, but I don't think there's that much ownership on jazz anymore. And especially when you get to the point of you have the John Legend character going, hey, it can't be that old crap anymore. We need to change it up a little bit. And you being a jazz lover of tradition can bring some of that and still change it up. And I think you get growth in the music area as much as you get in the love and relationship area in this movie where same thing, like I kind of go back to the same blunt way I'll answer you. If your biggest hangup of this movie is a white guy who likes jazz, you miss the whole fucking point of the movie, which is which is the life, the ambitions, the dreams, the reality, the fantasies, and the mansplaining he does to his girl. Now, she will womansplain right back to him why she's into acting in movies. And you have that coarseness that comes in some relationships where puppy love isn't enough. You have to have some passionate enjoyment or some mutual passions in between. And those two places conflict in this movie enough where there's moments where they can't cheerlead each other enough, but at the same time, they don't sink each other enough and that's okay. But yeah, I can't, I can't make that leap that you make in terms of being the white saver narrative and all that is, is it a white privilege narrative? I'll grant that because yes, this is an, a, a white girl barista who, you know, through her, through enough scrapping and enough struggle scrapes together, gets success, enjoys that success become the epitome of success by the end we have a white guy who likes jazz who you know still has an apartment he's not super unemployed i know he's getting by doing you know lame you know party not really party. Not, not really he doesn't pay his bills no he doesn't pay his bills he he loses gigs because of his ambition for the music he likes and we've seen like i said that's more llewellyn davis we're we've seen the, the struggling artist before and he's not an egregious form of that at all sure and to do that with and to all right to take all of those realities and intentions about the music and about the culture that's on display and to distill and filter that through a guy that doesn't get the girl musical i think you can do that in this day and age and not be an affront to a whole history of things also and uh, i'm gonna sound like a white guy who says hey you can stop arguing about it already but and that's a really bad way of saying it. And I don't mean to say it like this, but it always can't be dwelling on the bads of the past because 
this is a musical with nostalgia, with hope, and with innovation where I can't lean on the 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 bad origins of jazz or the bad experience of a racial demographic just to hear the bluntest way I can say this is not every modern movie is going to solve the past problems. And this is a movie that's not attempting to do that whatsoever in my eyes. So uh, that's not giving the movie a pass. I think that's just me understanding the scope and intention of where the movie's going and where it's coming from. Now I'd say that, full privilege of my own as a white male where i i can see yeah i for me this is a movie with love story first innovation and art second the complaints that are possible i think are really grasping and reaching projecting for things that the movie wasn't going to attempt in any way to fix solve or or um or to ah, i don't want to say acknowledge because i think that's enough there in terms of where jazz is and where struggling artists go but this movie wasn't going to, is not trying to save or solve jazz. No movie's going to do that. No movie. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, so I it's true, if, yeah. if we're, what he's going for, and this is where I get to the special features in the disc, and it helped me a lot, was Chazelle's trying for Umbrella's a Cherbourg and, you know, colorful musical more than he's trying for jazz. Jazz just happens to be the, the mode of transportation. And I think mm-hmm. he puts, and like I said, I think with the presence of legend and the innovation in mind of, calling back to old jazz but recognizing hey new jazz has a place where it can go and and still honor both is enough and i'm the guy toe tapping the songs in this movie i'm the guy really enjoying the romance and i thought emma stone knocked the ball out of the park showing the the women's and the actress side of this where this isn't a that's another place where the male part of this goes away where this movie's passing a bechdel test in terms of you know female-centered narrative and and we get that and she doesn't always need the man and I'm happy with that. Mm. And there's, but yeah. I, but I get that there's whimsy there for sure. But no, I, I yeah, can't, I, I can't dive where you're diving, man. I don't have a problem with the love story. Um, I actually really enjoy the, um, um, we were talking about how uh, adult the film is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually really enjoy the final sequence. Oh yeah. That was the most effective to me. Mm-hmm. Because I think about that stuff all the time in my own life. I think about the roads I didn't take, the you know, yeah. the, the, the path. And I, I love the fact right that they kind of had this moment where it looked at what could have been versus what is now. And I, I yeah. really enjoyed stuff like that. And that really affected me. And I thought that was a very powerful piece. Mm-hmm. And I think coming at the end of the film, what it, it worked for me. And this is somebody who did not like the film. And it worked for me. So I can imagine if you're really in love with the film, this really hits home for you. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the, I, I don't. I don't the know next what thing, it is. The I, next thing that yeah. saves it for me is Gosling. I don't think Gosling takes this white savior narrative. I don't think he would be in a movie like that. I, maybe I'm putting way too much trust in a, in a Canadian like Gosling and a and a young <laughs> young ambitious director like Chazelle. But and and I don't want to call that woke, but I think that's just wise enough and and sharp enough and intelligent enough from two from an actor and a and a writer and a performer to just not make that movie i think i think ryan gosling would see a movie like that because i look at ryan gosling's filmography and the hard shit he's done you know he's done neo-nazis he's done murders he's done crazy stuff he has he hasn't taken fluff parts anywhere so i think he takes this movie not only as an artistic and a creative challenge because you hear about him learning piano and all that stuff like that i don't think he takes a movie like this to be woke or to prove some point 
And I don't, and because of that, I don't think the filmmakers going there either. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't think the filmmakers are intentionally doing this. Yeah, I, I, I just have landed a, is that. I, I, I just have a sensitivity to this because mm. I don't know what my sensitivity to it is, but I feel like I want to embrace. We're still at a point in this. If we were in this country right now where everything was racial harmony and everything would be great, I would agree That's with fair. you that. Yeah. But the pro- the problem is, is that especially when it comes to music, because the problem is, and I, and I'm a social studies teacher as well. And mm-hmm. I've been teaching about the Harlem Renaissance and stuff like that. There you go. You know, the the foundation of jazz and um, black music and and black sculpture and black art is it came from their ability to escape the South, where they were constantly under the thumb of the white people, do the Great Migration and go to these um, more accepted places. Not they weren't great, but they were better. No, no. Um, more opportunity for sure in the North. You bet. and, And they had this ability, especially in places like Harlem where they basically had three square miles to themselves to nurture their stuff. Now mm-hmm. we, we all know in the history of black arts that it usually gets, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, taken not, over uh, by a white, by a white audience. And yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a line in black Panther. If you sure. remember, you uh, need, where, you need a white audience to be Panther to, you, well, you have to, you have to get an audience. And when the audience, when racial demographics have the majority of a country be white, you have to get white audiences. This even came up in like one night in Miami where Malcolm X calls out, uh, oh gosh, I'm going to forget the character already. Um, Jerry, not Jerry Butler. Um, you send me Sam Cook, played by Leslie Odom Jr., where Malcolm X says, you know, you're just, you're kowtowing to the white audiences. And Sam Cook is quick to go. That's how I make my money, and I'm not ashamed of it. So I see, sure. I, I know where you're going with this, and I'll be the one that says the easiest. Like I don't want to say like Matthew McConaughey in the end of a Time to Kill, but can a white guy enjoy that too and understand that and respect that and still make the art without taking it over? Because that's the thing. Like Gosling's character isn't taking it over. He just likes enough that he wants to see more of it. He I he'd suppose, love to take over. Yeah. He'd love to take over a club, but he's not trying to save i can't uh, the unemployed bum is not going to save jazz but he can love and respect it enough to see it performed well and want it performed in a great way and bring some innovation to it and i think legends the arc with legend can help him see that like hey it could be done a different way than the old-fashioned way but you can still honor the old-fashioned way at the same time i just mm. I, I agree but with you. I agree with you that this stuff's been taken. I agree with you that this stuff's been taken over before. It just isn't taken over in this movie. Well, because I think of things like Chuck Berry versus Elvis Presley. You know, sure. Who who ended up getting the majority of that? And then now I think we're seeing more of a because we're we're a little bit we have more access to things and we mm-hmm. have um, the ability to digest things from the past that maybe we couldn't see. I mean, a lot of people sure. that listen to Elvis Presley, did they inherit, were they inherently racist because, because they listened to Elvis Presley? No. Yeah. Did they know that a lot of Elvis's stick came from somebody else? No, because it wasn't mm-hmm. as big out there as it was before. Yeah. I, I can, you know what? I, I, but, I, I will concede this point. I'll concede. Yeah. This, hold on one second. I'll concede this point because I don't find the same problem that I'm having with La La Land that I do, that I, that I, uh, or I should say, I don't have the same problem with back to the future that I do with La La Land. And, okay. and maybe that's my problem because yes, if I was truly a very woke person, 
I would be like, well, Marty McFly created black rock and roll, you know, like, (laughs) so what I guess, I guess what I have to try to figure out is why do I see, is it because that we weren't as aware of these kind of issues? Because I, like Uh, I said, I I think, I think both of, I think both of these situations, both the Marty McFly you know the Marvin. Marvin, it's your it's your cousin Marvin or your mm. brother Marvin Barry. Listen to this, yeah, you know. Yeah. Like, if I don't, I think have that's a, a dumb that, joke thrown into a movie, right? And it happens in three seconds and it's over. Whereas you have a Ryan Gosling character that I think is keyed in enough and educated enough about the history mm-hmm. of jazz to honor it without not just honor it but but enjoy it and respect it, versus just a takeover artist. I don't see a takeover artist in that character anywhere. Yeah, no, I agree with that because okay. in the end he rejects John Legend and creates his own thing because or he says we, we I can't our five do years this. later thing, but yeah, yeah, he spent enough time like, to I make his money, but yeah, but he's like I can't sell out anymore is basically True. what he's saying, and I think that was kind of the issues that were brought up in some of these things. Mm-hmm. So I guess I have to try to figure out. Okay, what? Yeah, so you know, there's also the Rolling Stones took a lot of stuff from black artists and sure. so so I. What I'm saying is, and then even even in my heyday, when I was in high school, I mean, we had new metal, which was like rap and rock. You had mm-hmm. mostly white white uh, men uh, kind of taking on this persona of the quote unquote urban black. Sure, uh, you know, like Limp Biscuit, like where they have the backward New York hats and the baggy jeans and the you know and all oh, this yeah. stuff. Where it's almost like I'm one of I guess what makes me sensitive to it is that there's kind of this co opting of black culture and even though I don't think they do it on purpose, I think that it comes, it just rubs me the wrong way. Okay. Cause okay. I just, I just kind of feel like if I really want to grasp the jazz experience, I would prefer to have it from a black voice. Sure. Cause so I, I guess I'll be the one that says that music form has been around long enough and survived enough. If we shall say takeover artists and colonization yeah. that I think it all has become available and welcome to all where especially maybe maybe this is easier in jazz than it is in rap or rock or or even country where jazz is fluid enough and creative enough and and performer centered where because it's not verses and singing songs and, and and poetry of words that come from hearts and things like that it's just i'm this good with instrumentation let's roll and the improvisational sense of jazz, where I think if there's a musical genre where you a, a melting pot of collected uh, collected tastes and collected angles and collected performances can come together easy enough and become the mixed milieu of of the growth and evolution of a genre, it's jazz. Like, and I, and even Emma Stone makes the lame joke in the movie about Kenny G and you, Gosling's reaction is hilarious because like he can't say that that's not jazz, but at the same time, okay, it's one thing out of a larger thing. And you got to see these real ones instead of the one you're thinking of where I jazz to me is a place where you can do that easier than if a white guy were to get up and rap or the black guy is going to make fun of podunk country Yeah, but because we're, the we're storytelling having... is lamer, different and more and, 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 and more rooted in different places. Jazz you can mix and play more because that's the music is mixing and playing. Yeah, but we're, I think we're, it's allowed. I think it's allowable. 
We're arguing two different things, though, because I agree yeah. with you 100% on that. I agree with you on jazz itself yeah. being a multicultural thing now. It's mm-hmm. been enough time where it can be multicultural. And we're making a modern movie where we can call upon the past of jazz and have the modernness of jazz. And that's La La Land. See, I would agree with you if the character wasn't so... Ryan Gosling's character wasn't so adamant about preserving the purity yeah. and the origins of jazz. He's, That's where I, ha- I, I have I, Okay. He he is a bit of a, a, a an obsessed... He's, he's a bit of an obsessed prick about it. And he's an obsessed prick about it to anybody who will listen and his girlfriend. So <laughs> that, that's right. Like, to me, like I said, his crime to me is mansplaining more than white savior. What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futures Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Here's, this is a little part, if you can give me one minute. Hit it. Uh, I'd like I'd like to read two little portions from the article I was talking about by Ira Madison the uh, Third from his his article of mm-hmm. TV called La La Land's White Jazz Narrative. All right. He op- he opens the article like this. He says Damien Giselle likes jazz music, but more than blaming his musical obsession for La La Land, I suppose I can blame Carl Van Vechten. It is after all Van Vechten's 1926 novel N Word Heaven that Mm. fueled white interest in the Harlem Renaissance and led to the gentrification of the neighborhood's nightclubs and brownstones. While interest in Harlem and jazz music became widespread and likely indirectly led to Chazelle's father's interest in jazz. Sorry, I read that wrong. Became widespread and likely indirectly led to Chazelle's father's interest in jazz. Fine. He ends the article the same way, and this is part of my gripe as well, and this is where I kind of feel like the movie fits into the Green Book kind of scenario. But it says here... um, an advertisement for Van Vechten's 1926 novel in The New Yorker once asked, why go to Harlem cabarets when you can read N-Word Heaven? Perhaps now you could just watch La La Land. Um, that really hit me because I, I do feel like with Green Book where it's saying, here are the cliff notes of the racist experience. And now you're seeing this white man uh, essentially save the black man. Uh, mm. And now you can go home and feel better about yourself. I, I don't think it's yeah, as egregious see, I, as that. I don't think no, the movie La La Land is egregious, egregious as that. As that. Nowhere, no, near. definitely not. And we could we could do the same thing. I don't think yeah. that the Viggo Mortensen would do it. Talk about a guy who takes on meaty tough roles. Yeah, I, you know, I I don't think I think the intentions. I think it. If we're ranking these, if I the three that I mentioned, if we're ranking them, Crash mm. and Green Book are far more egregious than La La Land. I totally agree. All right, with there that. you go. I just, I just kind of feel that I was rubbed the wrong way because I don't know if it's my personal connection to it, my, my feeling of protectiveness. I don't want you to think this is like a jazz thing either. Yeah. Do I think sure. that jazz should be universally embraced? Absolutely. I don't think that black centric stuff should be black only. I'm not saying that, but what mm-hmm. I'm saying is, is that black, the black experience going all the way from colonialism to slavery to even just pop culture sure has been co-opted so much that i I wish i could see that for instance kareem abdul-jabbar mentions that he wishes he this was a gregory hines film um and i think one of the articles i read said that michael b jordan was one of the original choices for the ryan gosling role 
to me, if you had a black actor in this role, it, mm-hmm. it would have meant a little bit more to me. It I would can have rung a little bit more true. Yeah. Cause, well, here, I'll yeah. point to intentions. Sure. This is a white jazz lover making yeah. a modern movie about the inclusiveness of jazz that happens to have a white audience. And the intention, more than anything, is the homage of old Hollywood musicals with that modern take of, of an evolved musical genre. Mm-hmm. It is not there. This movie to ask this movie to solve big problems bigger than that is asking too much. That's like asking shit. That's like asking <laughs> the tree of life to solve all fifties fathers. That's like asking, <laughs> let's pick all the movies you love. Um, <laughs> that's like yeah. asking. well here, that's like asking Joker to make a sympathetic villain from a sadistic killer. Wasn't doing that either. Like I don't, right. there's nothing I have to fix or condone out of La La Land's tone or approach its intentions are to emulate movie musicals in a different era with modern tools and a modern and yeah with 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 today's melting pot of people in music now does that does that modern setting come from a co-opt from co-opted history sure it does but yeah yeah yeah. but they have experiences too i'm not like there are white people black people any people there's hispanic people moved moved or inspired by any given musical medium they get those stories even if they're not the purebred originals and i think there's room for that room for that when you could do it in a respectful way and i see a movie that does it in a respectful way but i but i get where but i get how i if you're going higher than that like if you are trying to solve a bigger thing yeah cast michael b jordan cast you know um uh cast uh i'm gonna um Who's our girl that we love? Um, Miss Thompson from Thor. Yeah, cast Tessa Thompson. Oh, Thompson. <laughs> you know, yeah. cast Tessa Thompson and and um, cast Tessa Thompson and Michael B. Jordan and make it a different kind of movie. If you want that movie, go watch Sylvie's Love on Amazon Prime. If you want that movie even older, go watch Love Jones with Lorenz Tate and Nia Long. That movie's been done and done in without being a Hollywood musical where you have arts and the beautifulness of the black experience distilled through their times. And with really positive takes that aren't whitewashed. And so those movies go exist and you don't need this one to be that movie. Um, yeah, I, I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, it, the, I the fact that it was such a, I think the other factor is the fact that this $30 million film became such a cultural this was a big uh, hit. piece of history. I mean, it was not yeah. only was it a huge hit, but I mean, when you think of when you think of the Oscars, I mean it it, mm-hmm. it had fourteen nominations, yes. which is just insane. I mean, but then you look at the but come on, man, you look at the art and technical and go, how could it not? There's not one nomination from those oh, fourteen sure. I take away. No, no, no. That's why I emphasized in the beginning that I'm not taking yeah. anything away from this film technically. I think it is. Te- mm-hmm. I think I think it's almost too technical in some cases as a musical. Ooh. That's why I don't remember okay. the okay. music very well. I couldn't recall. I mean, maybe if I rewatched the movie and did my homework, um, I yeah, would you know, okay. a song. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, though. Would it I'm, help? I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, though, I can still I know Chicago was a Broadway play first, but yeah. I can still sing bars from Chicago. I can still sing. I think it helps that it has music. a bigger. I think it helps that it has a bigger reach. You're going to have the same thing happen to you in a month within the Heights. We, we all are feeling it now with Hamilton. Yeah, it helps. Those movies are helped because they have 
bigger places and bigger origins. I admire La La Land because it's not going wall to wall musical. It's got a movie and a love story mixed in between. And it's going highly original with creating something brand new that isn't helped by Broadway, which is also some co-opted shit too. Come on. Well, no, absolutely. No. So I, yeah, yeah, I don't, uh, I I do think that's a great point. Uh, We we do, we have been, a lot of people have been decrying the fact that there's not original content and the fact that this is a musical written by itself, I believe is, is pretty, uh, pretty bold. I agree. So yeah, it's, it's a weird kind of criticism. Cause I, like I said, I, I don't want to blame the, the movie, uh, the technical aspects of the movie. I think the technical aspects are fantastic. I think even the acting is great. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I'm not a huge Emma stone guy. Um, I don't yeah, know what she, it is. She but... beats, here's your, here's your list of nominees. She beat, uh, Isabel Hubert for L that year foreign film. She beat Ruth Nega in loving. She beat Natalie Portman in Jackie and Meryl Streep and Florence Foster Jenkins. If I'm giving that award to someone other than Stone, it's Portman for Jackie, but that's me. Oh, interesting. See, that was the other thing. I think, uh, well, first of all, I I hated this movie so much. I'm starting (laughs) to begrudgingly respect it a little bit after talking Mm. with you. Um, But I was, I hated the movie so much that when uh, whoever it was that was like, God damn it! Moonlight one. Uh, that was like the greatest thing that had ever happened. It was. It was like, yeah. oh you no! Know, I as much as I love La La Land and was rooting for it to win the melt. Like, I can't knock losing to Moonlight. Moonlight's amazing, and so and then also yeah. the t- the hissy fit of the moment was hilarious. Yeah, love it. Yeah, so I that was something I really loved. But uh, I'm trying to um, where was the uh, where's the list here? Okay. So, um, we had a very interesting mixture of films nominated for Best Picture that year. You had Moonlight, which won. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, and Manchester by the Sea. Um, yeah, that's a two-horse race there. Everything, well, I, I mean, everything else slots lower for example like manchester by the sea that's a screenplay winner and i'm pretty sure it won screenplay like that's that's a writing thing more than a best picture of the year hidden figures is your cutesy popular you know that's a t- speaking of whitewashing choices you know there's your kevin costner white savior narrative there yeah mm-hmm. sure. lion deserves more respect than it does fences is a, you know that's an acting showcase more than a best picture showcase sure definitely yeah. what else you got in there arrival to obscure that's your district nine nominee you know that was never don't, gonna win. don't don't insult arrival by I, it's it a good movie but nine. it's not the best picture it's of not year. fucking district nine either that movie blows no but this that's your that's your token <laughs> genre nominee now that we well here the dumbness of the oscars is the fact that we're talking about eight or nine nominees if you do five arrival doesn't have a chance Sure, sure. Agreed. No, read that list again, because your five are, if you go a traditional five, it's La La Land, Moonlight, probably Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. What else you got there? Maybe? Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water. Oh, see, that's that's a Mel Gibson dumb, I hate Hacksaw Ridge. So, Um, well, I guess the point I'm bringing up is. Yeah, that's a weak field. When you look at two horse race to me. But when you look at the other films that are nominated in there, you have Moonlight, Hidden Figures, mm-hmm. and Fences, and Lion. And to yeah. me, those are very um, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, racially 
specific kind of films. They, That's they true. are about a black experience. Yeah. So I guess or lying in a foreign with, experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess with my kind of take on, which I'm not the only one. Obviously, there's many articles written sure. about this. You're going to meet um, black people that love La La Land too. Barry Jenkins. No, no, absolutely. I mean, Abdul Jabbar said he liked it. So, oh, yeah. Um, so what I'm saying is, is that um, I guess compared with some of those other films that had a more had black voices emphasizing black experiences, I think against La La Land coming out at that sure. time. Just like my issue with Green Book was that, sure, Green Book would have been a great Oscar winner in the 90s. Mm. But the fact that you had Black Klansmen and Black Panther going against it, when yeah. you had unique Black voices yeah. talking about get, Black experiences. Get out that year, too. Yeah. Get out. Right. So yeah. I, I think that played into my my viewing as well, because I was like, well, I got Moonlight. I got Hidden Figures. I got mm. Lion. I got Fences. Why the hell am I watching this right. white dude save jazz? Now, like I said, I know <laughs> you made some great points. View. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. You've made some great points. I it, and if if I was the only one, but like if you search up La La Land criticisms, this comes sure. up a lot, mostly does, from but... black, mostly from black authors. I which is which is where this is where I kind of that's where I kind of feel like I'm not like a crazy person because. But again, I I look at the guy who's not trying to make. A black movie right i just bear, the easiest thing i could say the guy's not trying to make a black movie saving any black thing he's That's making a true. movie musical homage with a love story in between if we are requiring movies to save black people we're picking the wrrong movies i don't know just that's what Moonlight's you. for. That's I, I'll say it again. That's what Love Jones is for. That's what Sylvie's Love is for. That's there are those efforts are that's what Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is for. That's what One Night in Miami's for. Those efforts are being made. They can't be made in every movie. But I get that jazz comes from co-opted roots. But again, I'll back to my original point. If you think this movie is about saving jazz, you missed the fucking point of the movie. It, it's a love story with the it's dreams, it's realities, it's fantasies, yeah. it's things that can't come together. And to see as much failure happen in the movie as success keeps it keeps the tone down for being really whimsical and really over the top because right. in a different era, this movie has a happy ending that's as washed as can be. And it doesn't have sure. that. And I respect that. So that's true. I, yeah. You know what? I, I, um, I, I think we both obviously disagree on the, uh, intention. In, no, no, not the intent because I don't think there was intent here. I, I'm, okay. I'm being, I'm making it very clear. I'm not saying that the filmmaker is racist or in his intent was to make a black film or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that some of that passion and that love of stuff led to a tone deafness in, it was a small enough area for you, but sure. it was big enough for me. And I'm just a white guy. Obviously this affected a lot of black audiences as well, because they were like, they were able to see that aspect of it even if it was to you a small part it sure. still rings bigger to other demographics i guess um so that's that's kind of where i guess i'm 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 taking their side i guess i don't know i just i just sure. um but i will i will leave the conversation by basically saying that i think we can both agree it's technically a great film um, oh yeah um obviously you were affected you you see the jazz part of it as more of a just an inclusionary piece of the setting yeah inclusionary, so, so it doesn't affect you whereas no, I'm for some reason story that part two people getting a job yeah see that part just stuck out to me too much for me to okay to get past it so i think that's where we're where we differ on that okay 
Um, so I, I definitely think uh, we'll, we'll see. I, you know, I, I the thing about um, we were talking about this on a prior thing about the Oscars, but mm-hmm. you know, let's just say La La Land. You know, it didn't win, but let's just say that it did or it technically did, and then Moonlight won also. But I think we are struggling to find these. Like, where do you think La La Land stands now as a cultural landmark? I mean, I don't hear I think- people talking about it. No, I think it's um, I think it's a little trophy case piece you keep around to be like, hey, with uh, in the right hands and with with enough talented people, we can make a Hollywood musical again. You don't have, well, here you don't have big screen editions of The Greatest Showman. Uh, you don't have the musicals that have been okay to make since then. Can thank La La Land to mm-hmm. just to prove the concept you can make one. Now the fun part is about all the ones since then is half of half of the good music musicals we've had since 2016 are period pieces that, that shoehorn their politics into modern things as well, where I like, I, I know I'm going to sing the praises of it here because it's out, but you know, we in the Heights, which mm-hmm. came out, which was a Broadway musical in 07 is something that La La Land can probably thank for existing, but that's also, a different thing where that's an original racially centered movie mm. about a different experience done by the people doing, having those experiences. But right. the fact that you can make one of those with today's tools and sell it and get it to be a success. Yeah. That's where La La Land is. La La Land is that, is that, I don't think it's got a future criterion spine, but that's that movie where like, dang, they really went out and made that. I Here it is. It's the avatar of Hollywood musicals. Interesting, because you yeah, know what I mean. Say, like, nobody remembers an Avatar, even though it was. Oh, see, I, I can't. Is. But I can't forget Avatar. Like Avatar blew my mind and blew the doors off of what you can do with film with new tools, but put it in the most familiar genre trappings that we've seen done a thousand times. If, right. if you poke enough, if you poke enough holes in La La Land, yeah, you have an American Paris. You have Singing in the Rain. You have Umbrellas of Sherberg. You have mm-hmm. little things like that along the way. Even a little bit dash of Chicago. Um. But the fact that you could do that with single take shots and crane movements and all the modern bells and whistles and mature settings and performances. Right. It's yeah, that's a weird thing to say. It's the Avatar movie musicals. Well, time will tell as well, because a lot of people don't know this. Um, mm-hmm. But when you say singing in the rain now, people think of a stone cold classic, you know, top 10 on AFI's list of greatest sure. movies of all time. When it was released, Singing in the Rain was considered a trite and oh, sure. fluffy uh, piece of entertainment. Uh, it got a couple of award nominations, mm-hmm. like, but it was considered a yeah. nostalgia. It was considered a nostalgia piece that was oh for just its era. Too, it was a nostalgia to talkies moving to verbal yeah. Hollywood. Yeah, sure. But over time, it it developed into this cultural landmark. So maybe La La Land. I I, I don't want to sing its death knell already. Yeah, no. But I mean, I don't hear people talking about it. I don't see it in the cultural zeitgeist like you do with other movies. I now that was a weak year. Sure, that was a weak year because oh, yeah, Moonlight. Yeah, yeah. Moonlight was a very small scene film. It was a success, but, but Moonlight's going to be that that firebrand movie that's like, wow, that 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 bold of an experience with that kind of storytelling yeah. from that bold of a voice. That movie's going to be your Criterion spine, your cultural landmark. Well, I don't want to say cultural landmark. I'm going to say emotional landmark movie. But I think La La Land isn't going to look like La La Land's not going to age badly because you're going to be like, wow, look at what it look. Like Avatar, you could pop Avatar in today and see bells and whistles that movies today still can't match. 
Yeah. And I think that'll be like, I, well, you, I just, you, yeah. That's I, a director too. Cause you could sure. say the same thing about Terminator too. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. But I mean, but that's also Chazelle. Like I think we're going to look back on this, especially with how Chazelle is going to age. Cause he's still what, 35 years old. Like yeah. if from him to make whiplash, which already is a film bro lover. Like I love whiplash. Whiplash is amazing. I do too. I like, whiplash and, and, and then he stepped it. Like he took whiplash, which was a small intimate thing and then blew it into this lava land. And then for him to go tell you what, watch me make a traditional Spielbergian movie like First First Man. Mm-hmm. And then it sounds like he's doing a, a Brad Pitt Vegas movie next. And like someday we're going to look back and go to La La Land and go, wow, just proof of his potential, proof of his size and scope. Mm-hmm. And I think we can go. I think it'll be easy to go back to that and go, hey, look what that guy did then with less and younger. And to reinvent what it is. I just think it's hard to do that because it's hard to have that movie last because movie musicals just aren't playing. They just, they don't happen as yeah. well, if Damien Chazelle were to go make a comic book movie and blow our doors off or something crazy, we would probably remember it more because it's just a bigger genre and greatest show be damned. And even what in the Heights is going to do this summer, it's just still not a frontline thing. Damien Chazelle would have the same problem if he had made a musical. I mean, he, he's antiquated to a fault, and that's okay because he's made something really good out of what what of a genre that's could use a little bit of infusion. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's been. But I, it will not. It will always be chasing Moonlight. It will always be connected to Moonlight, and Moonlight will always have the pedigree and acclaim as well because that too was a you know a freshman slash sophomore filmmaker coming out and blowing the doors off the place. So yeah, Barry Jenkins it, was, uh, and the fun part is if you've seen interviews, those two are real good buds. Like after the Oscar incident, those two sat down, broke bread, and like those two really love and respect each other's work and what they can do, craft true. and art. So that's another pass I give La La Land is for as true. much as I, I don't want to say Kareem Abdul Jabbar is a, a high end source of you know film theory and history and love, but I'll take the word of Jenkins over Kareem Abdul Jabbar any day of the week. So. Yeah, and I but you have could... but you have solid writers, and there's more of them than and you said before. So, oh yeah, uh, no, I think um, no, and that's the thing we forget sometimes is yeah. um, we forget that sometimes people are like, uh, I'm okay with this, <laughs> like you know, like yeah. we forget that it, me, I'm almost ironically being trying to be a white savior over white saviorism. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I understand. It, it's like you said, like if if uh, Barry Jenkins is like, yeah, Damon Chazelle's my bro, you know what is you know why do i have a problem but i, I think it's that, because that's right that's what helps me you know yeah no absolutely i just think that i doing the research for it mm-hmm. i i had seen so much on it like i said i if it was just me that's one thing but i've seen a lot of commentary i only selected those three articles because sure that's just well, what i was looking at because yeah, there's yeah. a lot of them but um and then like i said i think I was originally tipped off to it with the Samuel Jackson thing because mm. he, he, he makes it very clear, especially with green book and with La La Land and many yeah. other things that he, and he's like, don't have time for this shit. <laughs> you know? So sure. I, I was affected by that because, you know, I love Samuel. So I, yeah, I, he definitely influenced me a little bit, uh, maybe more so than is necessary, but okay. We it sounds like we had a hissy fit in a movie that's not for everybody, but something for everybody at the same time. Yeah, I'd like to know, uh, listeners out there, what are your takes on La La Land? You know, I want um, to hear this too. You bet. Yeah, because because maybe I, it's I, time for that Twitter poll question. Woo-woo. I think we should have the Twitter poll question this time. Ooh, all right, you're the social yeah, media head. It's on you. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. So what we're going to do now is uh, going to outro this this bitch. Heck yeah. Um, I was trying to find a transition, and that's all I could come up with, so I apologize. Outro uh, this bitch tends to work as a solid transition. Yes. So uh, please uh, follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fits um, and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fits Podcast. I think Don is more of the Facebook guy. Probably. Uh, I am more of a Twitter guy. An Instagram guy. I need to work on advertising the show a little bit more than just making weird jokes, but um, (laughs) I don't know how the Facebook page works still, so I'm still working through that. Um, Okay. But we do obviously run them, so please follow us and and interact with us because I will – I will He'll always... message you all hours of the night, whether he has pants on or not. It's the best part. Yes, of I always respond like right away. I, I hate when I tweet someone and then they get back to me like three days later. Like I will respond to you right away. Not that I have anything important to say, but you can also find us both on Letterboxd. Um, maybe, just maybe, we uh-huh. will post a poll matching this episode for your listeners to weigh in on who you think made the most compelling argument to win this cinephile hissy fit. I think that uh, I think what happens is when we made this show, Don, mm-hmm. I think we had this concept in our head that we were just going to snipe each other and be like, you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. And and we actually kind of have um, I think we have nice uh, intellectual that's, conversations. That's because we're two cool dads, two cool phone critics and struggling teachers. We can't hate on people any harder than we do. Come on. We're, we're nice guys. That's right. That's right. And um, if if anything. Well, I'll get into that later. Thank you so much for your captive <laughs> audience and social media participation. Cinephile His Fits is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. If you enjoyed this show, we have more where that came from with interesting hosts and wonderful guests. These are all available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite shows. Uh, I was going to say that I... Um, you can tell I'm not the shill that I am or some kind of um, strange uh, hater of certain things because I've been praising Army of the Dead lately, and that's mm. a Zack Snyder film, and we obviously spent a lot of time in prior episodes bashing certain Zack Snyder films, so uh, we're pretty open over here at Cinephile Hissy that we yeah. do not like fall into these, we don't fall into these cabals or no, no, uh, clicks, we're not, you know, we, we're open. We are not we're, Star Wars fans, or like, yes. Star, you know, we're, as much as you're the Marvel show, we're not one of those crazy people, yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. But talk about my man Chazelle, and you're fucked. No, I'm kidding. No! Ho, yeah, ho, yeah. ho, yeah, but yeah. I like all of I, his films except this one. I will watch anything he puts out. He's he's proven enough to me. Sure. No, that's what I'm saying. I could watch Whiplash any day of the week. I could watch First Man any day of the week. Um, I just can't watch this at all. Dude, <laughs> folks, you go watch it and prove him wrong. Take care, folks. All right, bye.